Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and seriously, if I die of natural causes and you're going to starve, you should feel free to eat me. I mean, <laughs> bon appetit. I hope I'm tasty. You have permission. Dan, I just want you to know. It's okay. That's, you know, she wants us to. That's just good to know. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. And I think shit's going to get a lot worse out here. And let me be very clear. I don't want you to eat me. <laughs> okay? I love you, Anna. But no, I, that's not a line I can cross. Now, Is it if natural you choose, causes? If I'm, if you, if you, I'm just saying, if you choose to eat me after I'm dead, that's fine. I get the survival thing. But know that that's not what I wanted you to do. That's what well, you have to live with. Okay. Oh, all right. Then with me? You can just, you can know that that's what I would have wanted. Okay. All, All right. right. You're a better person than I am. Welcome to Space the Nation, <laughs> where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Norm Decay. And intrasexual competition. <laughs> we have some real literal theories going on today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> today, we'll be talking about Yellow Jackets, the second season of Yellow Jackets. The first uh, part of the second season. The first part of the second season. We did an episode on the first season last year. Mm -hmm. Go check it out. It is available on Showtime. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And then... Yellow, Yellow Jackets, Jackets again. Yellow Jackets again. We'll be talking again. about the second half of Yellow Jackets, yes. And we have Hot Sci-Fi Summer coming up again. I actually mm -hmm. kind of consider Guardians of the Galaxy to be our first Hot Sci-Fi Summer entry. I would agree, Even but we have, a we have a few themes that we're working on. You know, that we're workshopping and, and I'm looking forward to some of those yeah. those themed episodes. And, you know, we'll we'll tell the listeners as, as we get there. If you haven't already become a patron, please consider becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash space the nation. What do you get, Dan? What do you get? You know what? Adam Smith, Francis Bacon, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. These are thinkers who survived because of patronage. And I think that you should think... <laughs> Oh, Space the Nation in the same breath as those things. All right. Don't you want to really support the 21st century equivalent of Jean-Jacques Rousseau? That's not us, just to be clear. But we might be if we had more patrons. That's, That's all true. I'm Beyond that, very like, you know, intellectual satisfaction, you also get practical things like early access to podcasts. You get access to our monthly AUAs we need to do. And you get access to our wonderful Discord and non-NATSEC leaking Discord. That's right. Our Discord is guaranteed to not get you in trouble with the <laughs> FBI. Yes, 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 yes. Mostly guaranteed. I mean, we can't take full responsibility. But... We really can't. Yes, that's correct. Right. But we, we let me this way. There is a high degree of trust, and I don't really think anyone that I've noticed on the Discord is really going to go in that direction. And I'd like to thank you all for making that easy for us. I mean, I think they are trying to impress us, but... <laughs> I don't think they'll do that by dropping top secret docs. If you want another way to reach us, you can do it. Well, it's 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 complicated. This gets more complicated by the <laughs> week, Anna. <laughs> we are aware that there are things called social media. We are on some of these social media sites. We are not really active on the other social media sites. The important thing to realize is that Anna is on Instagram. I am on Substack. Anna has a website. It, you know, it, easy to remember onamariecox.com. It that is pretty easy to remember. Yeah. My Substack is Dresner's World, and you know, if you want to tweet at us, I will occasionally still check the bird site, although God knows what what state it's going to be. I'm on Mastodon, and I'm trying to be there more regularly. It's I am been also an interesting. It's interesting yes. to see Mastodon kind of try to take shape. Hmm. I bet there will be some papers written about that, Dan. There were, and you know what those papers need? Patronage. That's true. That's true, Dan. <laughs> How are you? I am good, Anna. I am done with teaching, obviously, because we're in May, and that's a good feeling. I'm also done with grading, which means that for the next four months, I have various papers I need to write and a book I need to make progress on. And so, like, in my brain, there is, like, this master timer ticking down until the start of the fall semester. And I I'm looking forward to ignoring that timer. <laughs> That's you, something Anna? that as, yeah. if you are involved in any kind of education, I guess, just never goes away. No, it doesn't. I will say one of the nice things. Like it's because it's, you yeah. basically had that since you were 10. 
Yeah, exactly. I, one, <laughs> oh, since I was like six. Okay. One of the, one of the nice. I, I, let me put it this way. One of the nice things as a professor is that you don't really you you know you grow up with the idea that there are seasons, right? Like you mm-hmm. grow up you know thinking, okay, summer is different, fall is different, so on and so forth. And one of the perks of being a professor is you never have to get out of that habit. I would imagine it's difficult, you know, if you have a, a nine to five job or another kind of job where no, it doesn't matter that it's summer. You still got to do a ton of stuff. Yeah. Uh, global know. global climate change has also thrown a wrench in, into yeah, that. Totally fair. <laughs> yep. 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 Absolutely fair. Anna, how are you doing? I'm all right, Dan. I'm all right. I am enjoying an unusually mild Texas spring. Trying not to look a gift climate change in the mouth. <laughs> we've had lots of wet weather and cool weather and usually summer starts in april and goes to october here mm. in austin but we're gonna get like lows in the 50s next week oh heaven for fend yeah uh, wow so, that's yes hey i heard a story on npr the other day dan that yep. connected antarctica and texas Oh, did you know I've been to Antarctica, Anna? I, I, I thought of you. <laughs> I thought of you. What, what, what is the story? Do tell. If, if as the ice shelf melts, Galveston uh-huh. is in trouble. Ooh, There's some them, something about the currents. It specifically affects Galveston. Galveston, of course, famously almost destroyed 100 years ago by one of the worst natural disasters in American history. And... I've been to the beach in Galveston. My memory of it is that it's like the like the most shallow incline imaginable. Like I remember walking onto that beach, like being 50, 100 yards in. And if you were like on an East Coast beach, you'd be very far to the ocean at that point. In Galveston, it was like up to my knee or something. It was just, it was very strange. So I could see why just a little bit of an increase in the, the, the water would be a threat. Uh, you know what? Let's move on. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Let's move on. Sure. Fair enough. Totally sure. Uh, to think about climate change too often is to become paralyzed although we should think about it often mm-hmm. i'd but rather we think be paralyzed by but it. we shouldn't be paralyzed by it i would rather talk about yellow jackets today but why why are we talking about yellow jackets anna we're talking about it because it's an awesome show with if possible an even more awesome soundtrack it it seems I, and i'm not gonna lie like there is a small part of me that thinks this was like micro marketed for perhaps the two of us on it, or ba- <laughs> you know, like it, it, or at least our generation. Like this is clearly designed to appeal to di- our disaffected Gen X hearts. I mean, the music soundtrack in the '90s is fucking amazing. All of these characters are essentially Gen Xers. You know, we tend to be the neglected generation, and yet here, there's a whole show devoted to our both coming of age and midlife crises. Whatever, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Totally. What yeah. I my argument is, I think you're right. I think it's micro targeted, if not mm-hmm. at us, then at us and our peers, mm-hmm. and that as basically feral children, <laughs> latchkey kids, we're the latchkey generation. It's true. Yes, Did, I mean, we you, are I, the generation most likely to survive a plane crash in the wilderness. We are the last generation to deal with unsupervised play, and so and and. And not and, having and, our fucking phones. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. Yep, so imagine yep. if this was about millennials. Imagine how short the season would be. <laughs> <laughs> the drama would be the drama would be short but sharp. Yeah. Yeah, and yes. no survivors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be grim. So, will this podcast ruin the show for people if they listen to it? Oh, without question, Anna. Let's be very clear about this. This is a show built on an awful lot of plot twists and turns. Do not listen to this unless one of two things is true. First, if you have watched up to episode four of this season, and I want to stress that we are recording this a couple of weeks in advance, meaning that whatever we're going to say about how we want the rest of the season to go... If we get it right, it's not because we knew what was going to happen. We have only watched the first four episodes. And if we get it hilariously wrong, well, you know why. So do not listen unless you have watched up to episode four of season two, or you have zero intention of ever watching the show. And, you know, for the millennials, I don't blame you for not watching the show. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. You, you're not going to do well. It, it, it's going to be an unflattering, you know, you're, you're going to feel unflattered by comparison. <laughs> and I know your feelings can't take that. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> I mean, am I am I incorrect in this statement, Anna? 
shaking my head in sorrow. I was going to say, you were shaking your head. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let's get to the story behind the story. Anna, we've already talked about this show last season, or sort of the origins of it. But that said, there was some gap between, I think season one came out in the fall of 2021. We're now close to 18 months later. Are there any changes in season two that are worth noting? Well, I think the biggest news is the Mm -hmm. fan casting of Lauren Ambrose. Like, this so rarely happens perfectly, you know? Oh, so the fans wanted Lauren Ambrose yes. before she was chosen. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. And because she, okay. she's perfect. I mean, she yes, is yes. perfect as Van. And She's adult Van. She's adult Van. I will also say mm-hmm. that I'm blanking on the actress that plays Van, except her name is Liv. Husum, I think. Liv Husum. Yeah. This is interesting right off the top, which is that apparently she was not necessarily going to be a featured character in the casting list for season one, she is a just a featured character, or right. a featured like however they rank it, you know. Yeah. Right, Fe- and featured is below like a regular. Yeah, cast yeah, yeah. Member. She was not yeah, a regular yeah, cast yeah. member, but right. everyone fell in love, and why? Why wouldn't you? One <laughs> she of is a great one character. of the best redheads on television today, I will say. <laughs> so, yes. I, and I point that out is is relevant to our discussion because the show is not all planned. Ah, interesting. They're, they are able to make changes on the fly, right? And mm-hmm. apparently the creators, Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson, have been somewhat mm-hmm. surprised by how excessive the fan theories have been. It's This has become a very Reddit-friendly <laughs> show. Uh, on, on the YouTube, there are so many videos. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> about, about fan theories. And I watched a few of them. Do you think- They're entertaining. But this uh-huh. apparently took took Nickerson and Lyle by surprise. They did not intend it to be what is sometimes called a mystery box show. Huh. I'm just trying to imagine. Could you imagine what, like, when Twin Peaks originally came out, it would have been like, like on the Reddit board, like the it it would have been insane. Because I will say the reason I bring that up is this is the show I have I have watched over the last 20 years that makes me think of Twin Peaks. It is that similar kind of like super horror, you know, supernatural horror you know, kind of vi- like weird vibe to it. It's different. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far in that comparison, but like, and in fact, even in the credit sequence, there's this one shot of Christina Ricci in the credit sequence where it looks like she's in the red room <laughs> from Twin Peaks. Yeah. I, I, I feel that comparison. Yeah. Interestingly. So I said, so they didn't think of it when they're creating it as a mystery box show, which is lost yeah. uh, game of Thrones to a certain extent, but shows where everything's meaningful and you have to right. figure out all the clues. So they are playing this by ear a little bit, mm-hmm. although they, okay. they have said things will be explained. They're very aware of the lost game of Thrones traps problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not neither show ended well, if memory serves on it. So I have a quote from Lyle here. Not everything will have a concrete explanation, but I think that anything that can will. And there are things in life for which there is never a concrete explanation. And that is true. That is true. But that's one of the reasons we watch TV, Dan, is that we crave (laughs) concrete explanations. We do. Although, but we also, like, you know, I I think it's a question of, I mean, and we said this when we talked about the first season, one of the things I legitimately admire about this show is that while there is that supernatural element, almost everything we've seen to date also has a non-supernatural explanation. Or in other words, you don't have to, you don't have to be so invested into it. Yes and no. I mean, I have some, you'll be happy to hear, I have some of the fan theories that are all non-supernatural explanations for for some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think unless you're going to go with their nuts, some of the stuff doesn't have <laughs> supernatural explanations. Fair enough. To be fair, some of the characters are nuts. All true, all that true. But there's like some stuff they yeah. they haven't like explained away, except to say it might be an unreliable narrator. Yeah, which is, but again, like like there's enough unreliable narrators so that it's perfectly will you know. You can go there. Oh, that said, I, it's not like I'm going to reject it. If what it's I would say is story. that the horror yeah. is not based in the supernatural. Yes, that is a better way of putting it. The yes, horror so. of this show is very much natural. <laughs> yep. Yep. There's a few super, like the 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 dude with no eyes. Oh, God. Definitely. I can't even like, I, yeah. uh, like I literally, yeah. Yeah. last night I was watching one of the fan theory videos yeah. and I had to turn uh-huh. it off because I was alone at night and for some reason like, it was dark and st- I just couldn't, it. 
I'm cringing. Dan can attest it. I'm cringing. Okay, you know what? I am creating on the fly a new category of the podcast for just Yellow Jackets called "What Makes You Cringe the Most." Oh. So for you, it's is it the is it the, the man cringe? It's like cringe slash like shivers up my spine slash. Right. I, 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 I don't. I, don't not, I want to turn away from the TV. I don't want to see yeah, it. I, Sorry, to be very clear, when I mean cringe, I do not mean the way the kids mean. Oh, yeah. I mean cringe literally in the sense of like, <laughs> and oh, horror. God, horror, horror. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you don't exactly. mean that's yes, so cringe, yes. which is like us talking yes. about that is so cringe. Like exactly. to use it. Yes. Yeah. All right. right. But you mean exactly. like, yeah, we yeah, mean yeah. horror cringe. So what, off the top of your head? What makes you recoil? Uh, uh, for me, hands down, it's the mirrors with Tyson. Oh, yeah. That always freaks me the fuck out when you see like a mirrored reflection and suddenly the mirrored reflection is a different care, you know, is like starts moving without her ego. Exactly. Yes. That always sets me off. And like, they did it incredibly well in this show because the first time you see that happen in this season, it's very subtle. I mean, it's just Thaisa's reflection, not moving and staring at her while Thaisa starts to move. And it was like, ah, and then it gets a little more pronounced after. I think in general, the TV shows that have scared me, the TV shows that have scared me the most have been the ones that have the horror that lurks in the background. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you saw The Haunting of Hill House or The Haunting of Bly Manor, but one of the things that very much intentional mystery box shows, they put ghosts in the background. Mm-hmm. that fans would go through and find and some of them oh. you would see and some of you wouldn't but i got more scared when i would go do like when i would go <laughs> look at the recap oh, when you go and relook oh geez okay and like there'd be like no. ghosts lingering in the background like, like scary expressions and skeletons and bodies and all of that so anything that's yeah. kind of like a background like a subtle creepiness like the man with no right. eyes or like thaisa's reflection that actually right. gets like, me d- worse than than eating people. Oh yeah, yeah, by far. <laughs> no, or like in in Game of Thrones when like those the the guys who are infected with a scale mm-hmm. uh, thing. Do you remember the first time you see them? It's just a background shot of like someone jumping into the water, mm-hmm. and it's it's again very effective because like you notice it. They're not playing it up, and you're like, "What the hell was that?" And then like a, about a minute or two later, you realize what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So very good. Uh, so speaking of things in the background, yes. Uh, Chekhov's what's it? Dan, what is your what is your thing that occurs in the first act that we well, haven't gotten to the third act yet, but right, you know, occurs later. Can't put it in the background without having it come up later. Yeah, this is tricky with this show for a couple of reasons because the, the, I'm tempted to answer Chekhov's everything because like almost everything or every totem that we see in the 1990s timeline sort of recurs in the in the 2020 timeline. But for the purposes of this episode, I will say Chekhov's musical. Which is Misty's love of, you know, musical theater, which is born apparently in the 1990s. We then like see her and is it Walter, I think? uh, Yes, Walter. The character played by Elijah Wood enjoying on their own. That was that was amusing. And again, I will say this as much as we're stressing the horror of this show, don't sleep on the comedy. Oh, it's very funny. Yeah. There are some legit funny sequences in this show, darkly funny that are like extremely well done. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Anna? So this is kind of a contradiction in terms, but Chekhov's red shirts, because okay. all of the new characters that are not supposed to be new characters that are supposed to have oh, been right. there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, the, the, you, you mean the girls that are still trapped in the 1990s that, hey, I, that's funny. We didn't see them in the in season one, but they're here. It's in sort of like two. a backwards oh. red shirt thing. It's like a backwards Chekhov's yeah, yeah. gun in some ways, but also they're not going to be there except that they're going to, quote unquote, go off later for sure. <laughs> Well, I didn't. You watched Lost, and I didn't. Didn't they do that with Lost also? Like there well, were well, they had the tailies. Like, they did. They discovered a whole new set of castaways. Oh, I see. Okay, there were the yeah the tailies. I I loved Lost, but like all great things, it ended horribly. <laughs> <laughs> Not horribly. It's just it. The thing is, when you build when you build something that intricate, it, it's inevitably right. not quite going to come to what everybody i mean game of thrones was unusually but disappointing lost was just like mm-hmm. mm. i mean i i think it yeah they get more shit for it than they should but mm-hmm. uh anyway we have to talk about the plot to the extent that we can we do so we're going to use our format that we often do with books as well as like seasons of tv shows because we can only do so much with the plot you know this complicated so i will do the jacket blurb version of the plot so far so 
When we last left off our New Jersey women's soccer team, the situation seemed grimmed in both timelines. In the 1990s, Jackie had frozen to death after an argument with the rest of the team and winter had come. In the 2020s, Natalie was abducted just before attempting suicide by a cult led by Lottie, who we learn winds up being the queen bee of the cannibal women, I guess. Mm. Thaisa won a surprise election victory at the cost of someone sacrificing her dead dog, Anna. Biscuit, we hardly knew you. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the upside of the show, which is saying something, is that Shauna and Jeff had reconciled over Shauna's affair and murder of her lover. Misty had killed the nosy reporter who was digging around in the Yellow Jackets. And Van didn't die in the woods, a legitimately good news story. Season two picks up two months later in the 1990s timeline. And I think relatively Almost immediately. Like, almost immediately in the 2020 timeline. Yeah. In the 1990s timeline, Ben is kind of retreating from the world into himself. Shauna is still pregnant and still talking to Jackie, who is super awkward because she's dead and frozen. Van and Thaisa are still together. And Thaisa's alter ego really makes it kind of a threesome. Lottie's religious pull is growing and only increases when they find Javi, which she had predicted was going to be alive, even though everyone else assumed he had to have died after the mushroom freakout party. Misty bonds Doom's with coming. F- yes, <laughs> Doom's coming. That's true. Yes. Okay. Misty bonds with her new friend, Crystal, annoying everyone else with their musical theater. But all the girls can agree on at least two things. First, it's nice to throw a baby shower. And second, a roasted Jackie tastes delicious. We learn that the cannibalism began in a vain effort to cremate Jackie, which doesn't quite work out, and instead roasts her. They all come out because of the smell. They all eat her except for Ben. Mm-hmm. Which I suspect that's going to be an issue going it forward. Might be meaningful. Chekhov's Ben Mark, not eating Jackie. Yeah, Chekhov's starving. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Chekhov's fasting. There we go. Meanwhile, in the present timeline, Sean and Jeff are trying to keep Adam's murder a secret from their daughter, Callie, and boy, are they failing at that. Natalie is trying to navigate how Lottie's purple cult works. Misty is trying to find Natalie and in the process makes a new friend from the true crime boards, one Walter Tatterstall, played by Elijah Wood. And Thaisa, oh, Anna, we learn that Thaisa is fucked up six ways from Sunday. I... Her alter ego is clearly more powerful and has more agency than I think was revealed in season Mm -hmm. one. I remember when we were like debating what happened in season one, we weren't sure if Thaisa had, you know, sacrificed the dog, for example, or done other things. It seems very clear that her alter ego has more control over Thaisa than perhaps we had realized. And so desperate, she seeks out our adult van for help. Anna, does that about sum it up? I have just a couple things. I mean, I'm trying to like sort of just do plot and not theory yeah. right now. Right. So yeah. I do think we did get some clues about mm. whatever evil force is in the woods. There might be natural scientific explanations. But, or not. <laughs> but there is the birds that fall from the sky that right. they would be starving. There's a, there's They would be starving except they ate Jackie, but also... Uh, they have a <laughs> rain of birds yep. that they're able to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, there's a tree in the woods that is mysteriously not frozen. Right. That's correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we discover that when um, Natalie and uh, Travis are going searching. Yeah. Right. And they are discovering that symbol carved all around in that woods. And it is Thais's alter ego that is discovering that symbol. Yes. Should be noted also that like the one thing Ben seems invested in at this point is mapping out the area. <laughs> not getting the eaten. Cabin. Mapping yes. out the area. Yeah, not getting, exactly. Yes. So like they are trying to map out the, the area. And I mean, I think given the timeline, we know they're going to stay in the, in the woods for at least another year. Right. They were, it, it's 18 months all in. This has been at least six or seven months. I think it's so. Right. Good. So, so also so, we sh- that baby shower yeah. is right on time. So I imagine we are going to see the baby by the end of this season. I would hope so. I would also point out that things are definitely fraying in the cabin. You sort of mentioned this, but (laughs) there, there, there seem to be two camps. It's not clear exactly like what the camps represent or who exactly is on who, because like, Van oh, I I seems to be in the Lottie camp, but also she's uh-huh. tight with Thais and Thais is definitely not in the Lottie camp. 
Well, so, I would say the, the the camps are the supernatural camp and the rationalist camp. Right. Well, I mean, I really do think it's that. Is there no, IR there, in this? <laughs> sorry, but like, let me put it this way. There's the camp that thinks that Lottie is tapped into something. Right. That she actually does have some sort of higher power. And so, like, for example, when when Natalie and, and Travis go out hunting, Lottie does some ceremony with them, yeah. like some sort of blessing. And, you know, Travis goes along with it. Natalie sort of grudgingly goes along with it, and she starts to get sick of it. And the other girls who are... Lottie followers start to get annoyed with this. And then there's like Shauna and Taisa and a few, and Ben, and I think and a few others that are like, this is all ridiculous. Why are we, you know, there's nothing weird going on. I want to revise and extend my remarks. Go ahead. Which is to say, it's not that the, the lines aren't clear in terms of who's who. It's more that Mm -hmm. as with any religious war, (laughs) (laughs) it starts out not so bad. It starts out with, right. Is it with any civil war? The disagreements are, are right now such that even people in bonded pairs are okay to disagree. Like, yeah. So, like, I, let's put it this way: it's whereas not that, it, we clearly are getting to a point where that's not going to be the case. Probably, you're, you're seeing factions. They're not carved and they're not mm-hmm. they're not like cast in in stone yet. They're not fixed and frozen. And you're right. I assume what this is that that my assumption going forward is that. This is going to be one of the things that breaks up Taisa and Van. Yeah. We also did get a shot of them after their rescue, and we don't know how many other people survived. Oh, that's right. There were more than we have accounted for now. Yeah. So, Which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there's that. And I think plot-wise, that's all I got. I got a, got a bunch of theories here, Dan. I got a bunch of theories oh, we're going to talk do you about. Wanna, do, you wanna, do you want to talk about the theories now? We can talk about them if you want. Some okay, maybe yeah, this is ahead. just like, hey, what the fuck? More than theories. <laughs> okay. Javi, I think that's my biggest yeah. question after after episode four is like, what the fuck? Right. So he's, I have he, to he's say, been like, he's been found and he looks like no time has passed. Right. Which, I mean, to be fair, it's only been two months. But I think the more accurate way to put it is he looks like he hasn't been starving for two months. Right. That would be the way to put it. Right. Because, like, also, his fair, hair doesn't look as long. It doesn't look like it's been growing for two months. His clothes are are kind of like look okay. Okay. If we're going to go there in terms of the hair and the clothes, I have some other issues on that. Like, how do I put this? Do you know, like, so one of the things that that Natalie does is to try to get Travis beyond hobby. Like, right. right. Okay. Plot, one, of the, <laughs> one of the plot points is that. Natalie is, you know, is that Travis is convinced that Javi alive's, is alive. Lottie is also convinced. Natalie's like, there's no way a kid can survive out in these woods for two months by themselves. So one of the things that Natalie does is try to cut some of her, you know, like she cuts her leg to get some of the blood and like put it on one of Javi's pieces of clothes to basically convince Travis that, that he's dead. How do I put this? Those legs are awful smooth, Anna. <laughs> Hers? Yes. Okay. As a blonde girl... Okay, go ahead, please. I guess she's not natural blonde, right? That was the other thing. I her hair. I kept like, waiting for like. Because I was gonna say darker? like, I yeah. could show my legs to you right now, Dan, and you would be like, Anna, did you just shave? And the answer would be no. <laughs> the answer would be that I am blonde <laughs> or okay. strawberry blonde. But you're right. Blondish, she she yes. has she has dark hair. So yeah, it yeah. also is true that some women just don't ha- get this. As also they're like in their teens. So right. I don't know. Fair I enough. don't know. Yeah. I never really had to worry about it. So I'm not super <laughs> like, like I, I, I wish I could say that I don't shave for feminist reasons, but it's really because I just don't, don't I just assume. don't have yeah. to. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe we go get too far down that road because okay. also that would be hard to explain. I do have a fan theory about why he doesn't look like he's been starving. Okay. Which is? And it goes into the mysterious non-frozen tree and some other stuff. There is a theory that the cabin is on top of some kind of mining construction or network of of caverns of some kind. Okay. And that that hot springs, perhaps. Oh, say hot springs was what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, mining, so caverns, whatever. Uh, Although the mining comes into play. So hot springs, which would have kept him warm. You know, uh, can't explain why he doesn't look like he's been starving, but would explain why he doesn't look quite as roughed up. Mm-hmm. The other reason why this fan theory is attractive is that as far as like there might be some kind of mining, the idea is there might be some metal in the ground that is leaching into the ground that is somewhat poisonous. Mm-hmm. Oh. Perhaps iron. 
also. Vibranium. Vibranium. You know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Unobtainium. <laughs> yes, there we go. And yeah. it's the poison in the ground or that might have gotten into the groundwater that is making them hallucinate, perhaps. And that is why they are having some of these supernatural experiences. Okay, possible. And that's what made the river run red when they went out to try and when Van Lottie told them that they would uh, see a river of blood. And then they went to this river and started to run red. And maybe that was some kind of metal in the water. Uh, Okay. Okay. That sounds interesting. I don't think that's going to be it. (laughs) No, I actually don't. And to tell you the truth, I don't think I would be happy if that turned out to be it. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think it's. I do think it's a little more mystical than that, I guess would be the way. I imagine it's going to be more mystical. The other thing that uh, is an interesting theory is that Walter is somehow connected to to this more intimately than perhaps we know. One is that he's related to Adam. Oh, that's possible because he on the me- on the murder message board, he's the one who's like, hey, who is Adam's lover? What's going on here? And that's like how Misty winds up interacting with him in the first place. Like, so or he enough. has some other connection to yeah. the mm-hmm. yellow jackets that we don't know yet. Yeah. Or that he's a serial killer that's just obsessed with the yellow jackets. There's a Dexter theory. I'm not a huge Dexter fan. I also just mm. don't like that, but I, I felt like I wanted to say it. <laughs> okay. Also, more on the poison front that poison is more important, if not in the ground leached from some metal, that it's part of why they're hallucinating. Like Lottie's putting it in their drinks or like Misty did the mushrooms. Like there's so, some some additive that's happening. And that's we'll also happening little, yeah. at her cult. That there's something in, in the quote unquote water at her cult. Remember, because she makes a big deal, like the, one of her acolytes yeah. brings her her smoothie and it's like not the right smoothie and there's a weird amount of attention paid to this (laughs) and so a theory that like there's something going on with things and drinks we'll get to this when we talk about the characters because i found adult lottie to be interesting and i think the way i would put it that's possible but so far i think i've been a little bit surprised at lottie in both timelines in that you know from at the end of season one we're like oh so she's the queen cannibal okay that's terrifying and like, you know, when Natalie is abducted, we just see the, you know, the cult doing this. That's also terrifying. It's it, throughout the first four episodes. I think actually the more we see of Lottie, the more nuanced I start thinking of. Her. She's not just a cannibal. I don't know if we want to, we want to <laughs> get to, maybe I'll, let's, I'll, let's just, I'll save this for characters. Let's, let's yeah. save this for characters, the discussion about okay, Lottie. I got good. one okay. more fan theory for you, which is okay. that head injuries play an important role. <laughs> <laughs> sure okay uh, I don't yeah. know if you recall but when they had the seance in season one one of the things that uh-huh. Lottie does is bang her head against the glass uh-huh. and so that okay, that's yeah, somehow yeah. like causing her to hallucinate or whatever yeah that's a bad I'm sorry I'm calling bad fan theory uh, all right, I, mean, I, yeah. I, I, no. I just report the news okay just, no, like, fair enough totally fair, fair. you know yeah, yeah. fair and balanced that's, that's okay. me <laughs> Are you trying to get a suit on it? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> and Dominion voting machines. <laughs> I have, is Tell us about the theory about how Dominion is to blame for all of this, Anna. I mean, come on. So I don't know if you noticed, but at the, in the corner of the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> I have affidavits from over 200 survivors of this crash, Anna, blaming the Smartmatic machine, you know, That's data right. systems one for of them the plane crash. is a woman who time travels in her dreams. <laughs> Oh my God. Which, <laughs> dear listeners, if you aren't paying attention to the Fox Dominion lawsuit, is an actual thing that happened. Yep. That one of Maria Bartolomo's, or one of the one of the people, Bartolomo. I always say Bartolomo. Yeah. I think that sounds better. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But uh, who's the crazy lady that was the? Uh, it was Sydney Powell. Sydney Powell. Uh, Sydney Powell it, sent one of her, like one of the the, the, the experts, when Maria asked, like, yeah. so who do you got? <laughs> let me introduce you to this person who claims they can time travel yeah that was in her dreams yeah, yeah. all right yep. Yep. okay <laughs> speaking of science fiction like we're all some of science fiction yeah speaking of science fiction dan how is this mm-hmm. science fiction different from all other science fictions i'm glad you asked donna as with last season the first half of this season of yellow jackets brings some significant strengths unique strengths i kind of wish they weren't as unique in some ways but that's still unique first 
just the terrifying unknown of teenage girls, Anna. So yeah, the, these girls are utterly terrifying. And like it, it, in some ways, part of the horror, I think, of watching this show is that because we know how things wind up in the cabin, as we're seeing these sorts of schisms start to develop, and as we see these girls, you know, reacting, you know the violence that is going to come. And so, like, the sense of dread is just ever increasing. And so that that's incredibly effective, incredibly well done. The actresses who, you know, are all play the teen versions of these characters, again. And I think, you know, yeah, so that that's all amazing. The second is... Melanie Linsky just repeatedly blasting away any preconception you have of Melanie Linsky, by which I mean Melanie Linsky's roles prior to this have really been in some ways like best friend roles or like, you know, supporting actor roles, like, you know, ranging from Shattered Glass to... We have ingrained fat phobia in our country. I don't... I, I would... I'm not even like even when she was like you know in in her teens and in her early twenties when when she she was an extremely attractive she is an extremely okay. attractive all person. right like, it's it, true but she she was not getting lead roles I do think that part not, yeah. of what is interesting about this show and about her career lately is that it is just completely tossing like you know body type like norms yeah. like what what when yeah. what is supposed to be attractive in a woman uh, right. is like no she's hot. Yes, exactly. She is objectively hot. Yeah. But like, and it's funny, I think she's a revelation in season one. In season, so far in this season, she's done some interesting things, but really there is that one scene where she gets her minivan back and she is holding a gun and pointing it at the head of the the chop shop where the, you know, the gun is. You cannot stop watching her in that scene. She's just so fucking amazing in it. And it's just a whole bunch of different emotions at once. It's extremely well written, but like, and it's interesting because, you know, it's interesting to compare that scene with, let's say, what she does in The Last of Us, where she also plays a menacing character, but it's a very different kind of menacing character. In that one, she's almost like a sociopath. She's sort of like affectless and, and you know, emotional. She's so built on vengeance that like it, it's, it, she doesn't get terribly worked up in that. Whereas in this, it's just like, you can tell she so wants to kill the person, but like doesn't in the end. We can quibble on this. Anna's not entirely agreeing with me. I, I think that she's more of a sociopath in this show. In this one? Yeah. Oh, really? That's, uh, that's what, one of the things I, I want to talk about when we get to okay, characters. Yeah. As I said before, the perfect tightrope between supernatural and natural, it, it, it really combines those two well. And the best soundtrack on television. There have just been some out and out bangers on this show this season. You know what? It starts with I think Tori Amos, Cornflake Girl, and or it closes Sharon with that Van Etten. Sharon Van Etten, seventeen. Seven, yes, great song. Yes, yeah, and then um, ends with Cornflake Girl. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's yeah. I, I, my friend Tracy, not super into any of this stuff, but she's like uh-huh. the world's biggest Tori Amos fan, and I was like, I think uh-huh. you need to try it. I think you need to give it a shot. Anna, have I told you about my my tortured relationship with Tori Amos? No. Okay, so I'm, I'm concerned. No, no, no. It's okay. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. When Eric and I were engaged, and we we did our first cross country trip together, because I had I had graduated, I'd gotten my PhD. We were about to move from San Francisco area to Boston, so I could do my postdoc. So you know, we we packed all our things into her Toyota. We drove up to Seattle, then we drove cross country. So, you know, this is back in the back during actually this was the year that the the plane crashed. This was 1996 that we did this. And so we are, you know, just listening to cassettes because that's what was on in the in the car. Erica was obsessed with Tori Amos, and we must have listened to that album, the one with Cornflake Girl on it, at least 15, 20 times on the way from Seattle to Boston. It took me a full decade after that trip to be able to say, oh, you know what? Tori Amos is actually pretty good. Because like it was just like it was just way too much Tori Amos at once. I'm more with you. Yeah. Like I've never quite gotten gotten it. Like I I, I, but you know what? Like, I mean, my poor college roommates had to listen to Exile and Guyville probably, you know, 15 Uh, times a day. Sure. Liz Fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you look no, at, you're, you're like, way. yeah, of course, it looks fair. You listen to that often. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, let me put it this way. In 
enough time has passed that when Cornflake Girl came on, I actually was like, oh yeah, oh, damn, cool. yeah, okay, right. good choice. So like, I'm, it's not a knock on Tori Amos. Like, it's just that it turns out if you listen to Tori Amos, that album, twenty times in the span of a week, it might get to you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think this season, as I said before, you know, we're seeing a split between characters with how to put this hidden dualities. Whether we're talking about Thaisa or Lottie, or to some extent Natalie in terms of her addiction. And those who are not, like Misty and Shauna, you can say a lot of things about them. They know who they are. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to talk about Shauna more. I'm just going to keep my comments oh, yes. about Shauna. Okay. Uh, save them for later. So, uh, as, what about you? Yeah. As for me, yes. So, yes. this is a show about women mm-hmm. and pretty much just about women. Yeah. I, I was thinking, can you <laughs> score over 100% on the Bechdel test? Like, can you supersede it? Do we need to invent a new test? Should there be a yellow jackets test? What so would that be? be? The reverse version of a Bechdel Here. test. Yes. Okay. Every scene mm-hmm. with a man in it has yeah. to be them talking about the female characters. <laughs> that is literally the reverse Bechdel test. It is. And that's now it's yeah. the yellow jackets test. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I think so far there is, there have been, you know, there's, first of all, there's only been two scenes with only men talking, right? The scene between the two cops and the scene between Ben and Travis. Yep. And yeah, all they're talking about is, boy, these are some fucked up women. women. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, mean, I think that's so pretty much it. It's the Yellow yeah. Jackets test. I, I, yeah. I, I okay. submit yep. the Yellow Jackets test. Yep. And this is not totally unique. Uh, we live in an era of the antihero. Right. I posit, I present for your consideration, there are no heroes on this show. Okay, I kind of want to root for Van here. Van might be the closest. Van might be the closest, although we don't know what goes on. Because there is going to be some kind of battle royale that happens. But Van is the closest. I can't think of another one. Even Ben, so Ben is like kind of... He's just, but he's kind of a dick right now. Like, I mean, understandably. I think the better way to put it is that he's weak. Unfortunately. Okay, weak. I mean, the, right. That, that would be that's, the better you're right. way to put that's, it. That is a better, he's not being a dick. He's just being. He's not being a dick. He's being weak. Yeah. He's, he's, weak. he's retreating into himself. And that's, yeah. in some ways, that's actually been disturbing to see. Like the, mm-hmm. the flashback scenes of Ben. Very in sad. which he sort of, you know, with his. Uh, Imagines his what would have been. Yeah. And, you know, those are. Those are disturbing in a variety of ways. Among other things, I like how they shot him because he's like clean shaven. He looks like, you know, hey, we did at the start of season one. I mean, it's startling to realize like how far he's fallen, I guess. I thought it was funny at first when they started to show it. I was like, wait, is this, did he survive? And then I'm like, oh no, look at the clothes. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, look at those high-waisted jeans. (laughs) Yep. I, I suspect he didn't survive. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Did he, does he get eaten? Is, is... Oh, I am 100% certain he gets eaten. I Like, if I had to bet on anything, it's right. that Ben gets eaten. I'm yeah. kind of hoping he doesn't. Oh, maybe this is a plot thing. Yeah. Or okay. this is a character. This will segue to characters. This yeah, is going to yeah, segue okay. to characters. Okay. So, and also, it, it's, it, it flows out of the there are no heroes. Mm-hmm. The show has kind of set us up for Lottie to be the antler queen, right? Right. Yeah. And she has behaved, like, she has done uh, antler queen stuff. Right. I wonder now if she is really the big bad. If she was really like the instigator and ringleader. Okay, so let's move into characters now. Because like you, I think I've been surprised at how Lottie is being dealt with Mm -hmm. in this season. In that the end of season one clearly sets her up as, oh my God, she's the most fearsome character. Like, this is the one we have to worry about. And what is interesting to me is that both in the 1990s timeline and in the current timeline, that's not how Lottie comes off. She comes off as someone who is frankly scared of herself a little bit, mm-hmm. um, even in the modern timeline. Like whatever you, and, and actually one of the fascinating things is this whole cult thing that she's doing, which I'm not entirely or is sure. It, it's, it's an intentional cult. community, Dan. Yeah, it, it like, let me put it this way. I, I don't judge it quite as harshly as Natalie does, I guess. Yeah, like I'm agree. not entirely sure what to think about it, but like, there is some sort of wellness stuff in there that like isn't the worst thing in the world. I, I mean, I, I, I never thought I would say this, but like, but, but I don't see it in all that pernicious a manner. And also, Lottie seems legitimately worried that 
she's going to do something bad. I mean, which maybe indicates that she did do something bad in the past, clearly, but like I Lottie does not come across as this intentionally malevolent character, which is how I thought of her at the end of season one. So yeah. I completely agree. agree. I think I think maybe we were intentionally misled, but also and not so I mean, I think they pro- it was probably grayer than we realized watching it yeah. in first season. Can I offer my fan theory? Like this, as a fan, this is oh, my theory sure. as to what happens in the woods. Sure. My theory is that you know we know that like some of them turn into cannibals and like have this ritual. I think we have, I have the, the same theory. I, 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 okay. okay. All right. Go. My go. theory is that what winds up happening is they split into two camps, and that Lottie actually is one of them, but there are others who maybe don't quite do that, or they oh. they do things a little bit differently. And so, like, I, I, in other words, I don't think we know what the schism is, but I, what do you think it is? I, I have a radical theory. Oh, do tell. Okay. Split into two camps, and let's let's go ahead yes. and say cannibalism camp and non-cannibalism <laughs> camp. Mm-hmm. Lottie leads the non-cannibalism camp, and oh. Shauna leads the cannibalism camp. Oh, my. But wait, don't we see in, like, the very first scene of the first episode, like, they, the Antler Queen, like, they're, like, eating this stuff, aren't they? That we don't see, the only face we see is Misty's. Oh. Uh, that would be some duplicitous editing if they do that. But well, like, why? That's like, okay. there's no, there's no, the, the Antler Queen is completely mysterious. We have no, the only face we see in that opening scene. No, but in the final scene of the first, uh, first season, don't we right, see? Right, right. But what if Lottie, Lottie no, no. Does. Okay, so, so my theory is that she did lead them in this in some way. Right. But then has like a change of heart, gets scared receives a message no this is not the way do oh, something and else takes over? and then oh, shauna is like fuck that we need to survive my mm. baby is hungry interesting i, and I think no, she's more I, ruthless see i actually and i i think she also she's the first one to taste human flesh <laughs> it's true so she 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 eats jackie's ear in the first episode and then jackie's the arm season. part of jackie's arm yeah, yeah. So, because yeah. because one of the things I want to talk about in characters is Shauna's not a good person. <laughs> as much as I love no. Melanie Linsky, yeah, Shauna's, yeah. A, I think, a bad person. I know I we think- love her. We love. We stand. We stand a Melanie Linsky queen. So this is tricky. Like I think you're right. Like I, I think you raise a valid point here, but I'm gonna. I will dissent slightly on for two reasons. I think you're right because how we've seen this season play out, she's she's not doing good stuff. Let's put it that way. You know, this is all about her covering up her crime. This is all about her, you frankly, missing violence and like, you know, pointing that gun to try to get her car back. But I will point out that in the end, she doesn't pull the trigger. She wants to. I know that that's season's not over yet. Okay, fair enough. And I, she did kill Adam. <laughs> she has killed. She did. She did. Yes. She has. And killed. the bunny yeah, rabbit. Absolutely. She also killed the oh, bunny right. rabbit. That's true. Well, that was for dinner, though. Yeah. But true. But but yes. And like, I, I'm curious to see where where we wind up with Shauna. Let's put it that way. I think another reason, frankly, that we don't that that Shauna has taken on a darker cast this year, uh, this season, and this is the thing I honestly miss. One of the nice things about season one was seeing adult Shauna and adult Taisa hanging out that that was like, we talked about this in the, in the, in the first season, there was a lovely chemistry to the two of them and like a lovely sort of, you know, uh, the actresses do a great job. There's a real friendship there. And Shauna doesn't have anyone to bounce off against at this point in the first four episodes. It's just her family. And like, she clearly loves Jeff that, you know, and, and is into that Callie. Oh dear God. Just not the, you know, not good the, parenting. The you're the you're yeah. the you're the one that's that's had children. Is that not not good parenting? Is what she's doing? Well, Anna, as someone who is as sus, yeah, <laughs> as someone who has not killed someone and then tried to hide it, and also not like confess to their child that they had had an affair and those sorts of things. Like you know, I I mean, to be fair, Shauna does sort of decide to tell Callie that yeah, she killed her lover and like weirdly Callie seems to let her guard down a little bit and like at the end of season four the family they're is making dinner again they're making dinner yeah, together I gotta tell you that was not a persuasive sequence for me and like that I'm not sure that worked as well as other aspects of the show is the way I would put it uh, 
I also thought it was interesting. She confessed to killing Adam, but did not talk about what happened in the woods. Well, yes, which she, I, yeah. So something yeah. worse than killing Adam happened in the woods. Possibly, or possibly this is just like the showrunners. Uh, right. We can't spill everything at once, you know, come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, dynamic duos that we miss, Natalie and yeah. Misty. Uh, fair enough, yes. yes. Uh, I yes. also miss uh, Sam, Thais's son, who was delightfully creepy and yet also cute. Yes, well, I think it, like it was... He, he and starts now off he being be- creepy and then winds up being really, it turns out he and was actually not most- just cute, but like he was creepy. And then he has like a believable turn right. into yeah. concerned. Yeah. And, but mysterious also still like, it's not like yeah. he's, he's an odd duck. Right. I think, but also well, understandably. Con- yes. Yes. Like, yes. Um, yeah. And of course he does have a cameo where he's a, a hallucination. As it turns out. Right. <laughs> Which, by the way, like that, that was a lovely plot twist. Cause like I totally, I was like, I oh, actually, okay. it's, I, I, this, oh, when, you they, knew it? when they, she made the call and she was like, God uh-huh. damn it. Like there's something about it that was like, wait a minute. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I also want to point out that do you remember the shady political donor from season one? It was a great scene. Oh, yeah. The scene. creepy totally donor. Like, yeah. Awesome it scene. It was the only, it was honestly the only good scene in that whole plot line uh, oh, in terms of the, the, the whole like yeah. state senator thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, every, the, I love that she gets recognized everywhere she goes. Dan, do you no know who your state senator is? State senator. No, I thank you. This is bugging the <laughs> shit out of me. There is a sequence in episode four where like she's like a truck stops to pick her up and says, I recognize you and I voted for you. I was like, I have no idea what my state senator I vote, looks like. I, I mean I vote straight yeah. tickets, so it's right. I I just I barely remember who it is. I definitely uh-huh. wouldn't recognize them. <laughs> right. Nope. No, no, no. No, no clue what they look like. Nope. I'm, and I'm not going to apologize for that. You know, so yeah, that was, it, it's one of these things where like whenever they do a political thing, they always assume like everyone is like the president in terms of yeah. everyone recognizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and she has a huge stuff. staff too. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. Like all state senators do. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't, I actually, I should have researched this. I have no idea if this, like being a state senator in New Jersey is even a full-time job. And a lot of most state places they are not. Most, most places they are not full-time jobs. They're just like, you know. Do you know what, uh, what state it's the least full-time? I will guess Texas. It is Texas. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, it was government's small enough, you can drown it in a bathtub. <laughs> Dan, I, I actually still have a question for you. Oh, you do? Yes, go yeah. ahead. Is there IR in Yellow Jackets? Anna, I'm not a bad person. I'm just an occasionally bad IR analyst. But I'm going to try to be good. For the pod, I'm I'm back on my meds and everything, you know. And and yes, there is some IR in this show in season two. The first and most fundamental aspect of, of of this show is what is the nature of power? Okay, like this is something that IR scholars legitimately debate a fair amount. You know, does does power you know have economic foundations? Does it have military foundations? Does it have ideational foundations? And what's interesting is that we're seeing different definitions of power as the show goes along. So for Shauna, for example, Shauna is a stone cold realist. For Shauna, power, you know, like Mao, power grows out of the barrel of the gun. And we see that in that incredible scene, you know, uh, in which Melanie Linsky gets her car back. But it is also about ideas and beliefs. And so that's what's interesting in terms of how the, the sort of shifting dynamics of power in the cabin in the 1990s is fascinating because there are ways in which you would expect Natalie and Travis to be really the ones who have all the power since they're the ones who are responsible for getting all the food. And it doesn't appear like anyone else is really very good at that at all. And yet, even before the dead birds arrive, it's clear that some of these girls believe in Lottie in a way that, you know, often happens if particularly you're in a, in a world of, of extreme deprivation that is often one of the instances in which you will often rely on faith to explain what's going on. And so Lottie is providing a belief system, whether she knows it or not, that is actually giving her power. And that's legitimately interesting. The second thing is that, you know, in any anarchic order, in a sort of multipolar world, alliances matter. And we're starting to see the formation of alliances in the woods, Anna. And this is particularly true as Ben's power recedes. And really, I think the fundamental moment in, in this show so far where you see Ben's power essentially, or his, his his legitimacy cease to exist is when Laura Lee, of all people, finally says, screw it. I don't care what you say. I'm getting on the plane and I'm going to 
fly away. What's interesting is that you would have thought that would have actually reinforced his power since it doesn't work out well for Laura Lee. Ben suggested don't do this. Laura Lee dies. That actually should have reinforced Ben's power, but whatever. As Ben's power is receding, as his legitimacy is receding, we're seeing alliances form. And that's interesting. And then finally, how do norms shift? You know, even in an anarchic world, norms matter. Okay, there are certain things you are not supposed to do. You are not supposed, you know, embassies are treated as foreign soil, even though they're completely surrounded by something. You know, there are other taboos. You're not supposed to eat people, Anna. I'm pretty sure that's one of the important taboos. Unless you have explicit permission. As I have given. <laughs> As you have given. Thank yeah. you, Anna. We're going to have to go camping, by the way. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we uh, we get the first act of cannibalism. Well, we've already seen that. Now, in theory, that's a norm violation, but that's not necessarily how a norm dies. A norm can be violated without dying. In fact, sometimes a norm is violated and actually can be reinforced. If everyone reacts in horror to the norm violation, if the violator is punished, that can actually reinforce the norm. That is not what is happening here. Instead, Ben clearly disapproves of what's going on. He makes it clear and vocal at one point. It's just that no one's listening to him anymore. So this norm is eroding. We are going to see a shift in norms, and that is going to be a problem going forward. Or a solution. Take it however you want to interpret that. I'm team Ben. I hope he he survives. You're right. He probably won't, but I, I hope so. I kind of think he can't survive because if he does, or I mean, maybe, it, but it's possible. Maybe he winds up leading the non-cannibal faction. That that's an it, that is a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So Anna, I have a question for you. What is it, Dan? Is there a critique of capitalism in this show? Dan, have you ever peeled the skin off a human corpse? Good God, no! <laughs> it's not as easy as you might think. <laughs> But if you look under the surface, this is a show about the demands that capitalism makes on women's bodies. Boom. Thank you. Well done. (laughs) In addition to having to eat each other in order to survive in a state of scarcity, post-wilderness, they've had to participate in the commodification of themselves, Hmm. that their experience is turned into something worth money that they cannot themselves necessarily profit from. If you look, Jeff trying to make money off of Shauna's lived experience. There's a physical disassociation for Ty as a black woman who has to perform her identity in terms of what's Mm -hmm. acceptable for mostly white voters. And then Mm -hmm. there's Lottie monetizing her own and other people's trauma. Yeah. Now there is, I would say an unhealthy fascination that's cross-cultural about women competing with each other, nay fighting each other. It is a fascination that is both academic and not so academic at times. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this and I did a little Googling of my own and I will point out. Yeah. Yes. There is an Oxford handbook on women and competition. Oxford does these occasional, like they're big compendiums of academic studies. I've contributed Uh, to some of those. Yeah. There is no Oxford book of men and competition. There is just an Oxford book <laughs> on competition, psychological and competition. Women. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Okay. And if you look into some of these studies, especially sort of the like, you know, fucking evolutionary psychology shit, mm-hmm. there is this idea that there's something just inherently different about the ways that women compete. And mm-hmm. the thing that I really have a problem with, it's almost always framed around competition for male attention. Hmm. That's the evolutionary biology part, right? Like we're competing for the scarce resources of their sperm. (laughs) Which are so scarce, Anna. Well, yeah, I know. (laughs) One of the most refreshing aspects of this show is it's about how little men matter, you know, and how insignificant their attention is, sexual Mm -hmm. or otherwise. Misty did have a crush on Ben, who was not interested in a very because he's gay because yeah. he's gay and yeah. so I, I mean kind of a cautionary tale there I, mm-hmm. I I think that's one of the reasons why women love this show is it's about the competition <laughs> that happens between women that's not about men right you know it, it, it is just it's, uh, a, it's a Bechdel test competition as it were yeah it's Bechdel test competition and in fact there is a hilarious tweet I want to share yep please do 
It is from Emily St. James. Mm-hmm. Gender isn't binary except for the two shows about soccer. <laughs> the boy show, Ted Lasso, is about what happens when boys play soccer, crying. And the girl <laughs> show, Yellow Jackets, is about what happens when girls play soccer, murder. <laughs> Both shows are accurate. Now, <laughs> yep, well done. And so I, 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 I am. I don't think it's just the Tori Amos and, and Sharon Van Etten that make this show so loved by mm-hmm. by, by my friends. Mm-hmm. More than just, I guess, female friends. You like it too. I like it too, but I will confess. I, let me put it this way: not to. I think this reaffirms what you're saying. One of the things I like about this show is that it sort of eliminates what I would describe as essentialist feminism. Yes, that's it, it, there are no genders except for the two soccer shows. But really what the show, yeah. is, what I'm trying to say is that it's not yeah. about how women compete. It is about vicious competition between women. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, yes, like it, it, that's, it, that is extremely refreshing to see. And yeah, it, it's, it is unique in the, I think in the sci-fi landscape in that way. And I wonder if it's going to stay unique. I hope it doesn't mm. because the fact that the show is done relatively well should signal, Hey, you know what? Probably there's an audience for these kinds of shows. Perhaps. Have you been watching the power? No, I need to start doing that. Yes, because yeah. we did, we talked about the book last time, but we, we did. in a previous episode. But we need to uh, perhaps we need we'll to consider this. I, we should we should consider doing some kind of like scattershot wrap up show at some point about like all the stuff that we don't get a chance to do whole shows about. Well, we did that last summer, and I think we can yeah. absolutely do that this summer. All right, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, it's a plane crashing through trees. No, it's birds, Anna. It's uh, birds. birds falling. Boom! But they're dead birds. Lottie, what have you done now? It's the debris field where we talk about the stuff we didn't get a chance to talk about earlier. Dan, what do you have? A couple things, Hannah. One thing, I don't know if I remembered this from season one, but I've noticed it in season two. Another thing that's disturbing about this show is the use of close-ups. They occasionally have like their main characters extremely close to the camera. And it's again, it's unsettling to me, at least for me, at least in the same way that the sort of mirror thing is. And, you know, th- this show is extremely good at making the viewer feel uncomfortable, not in a painful way, but in a productive way, I guess would be the way to put it. So that's just a little thing. I will add something I discovered in my research, which is the showrunners have said that this show is explicitly based on Lord of the Flies. Oh, good. Bees, flies, haha. Ah, yes, yellow jackets, hornets. Uh, hornets. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. so that does suggest that there really is going to be two teams coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So I, oh, I, if it follows that, but yeah, yeah, that's all. That's all. I think that okay. think that definitely going to be two teams. So we talked before, or I mentioned this before. The show does have moments of legitimately good comedy, and I do want to shout out one of those that we've seen in in uh, the first half of the season, which was the boat scene, the sort of play on Cyrano de Bergerac, where. Elijah Wood as Walter is interrogating someone that Misty knows. So Misty is sort of feeding him questions through his earpiece. It It's just well done overall. And by the way, it's like it, it again, it's a, for our generation. It's charming to see Elijah Wood and Christina Ricci in the same reunited reunited. Yes. From one of the most terrifying movies of the 1990s, The Ice Storm. That is hands down for me. Like when people ask me, what is the movie that like is the greatest horror movie ever made in your opinion? I always answer that movie. That movie is fucking terrifying. I will not watch it again. Yes. (laughs) Like I saw it once when it came out and that's it. That's all I need. (laughs) Anna, I I can top this. I've I've only seen it once full time as well. But I grew up in suburban Connecticut. (gasps) And I watched that movie with my mother. (sighs) was so painful. Oh it my was God. so painful, Anna. Well, you are married to a therapist now, right? Yes, so, so I've been able to work out those issues. And, and to, <laughs> to, leave it this way. To her credit, all my mother did while watching that movie was giggle and say, I don't remember key parties like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so right. traumatizing. Yeah, Well played, Ms. Dressner. Well played. <laughs> exactly. Well done, Mrs. Dressner. Yes. Good job, Mom. Um, I don't know how much I have. I think that's sort of funny. Like some people are making a lot out of Lottie's cult being really into Fanta, which I barely noticed. But yeah. since I'm looking at fan theories, I noticed that. And then I don't know. I guess I, I missed Adam. I thought he was a fun mm-hmm. character. I like the flashbacks yeah. that we're getting of him. And I am interested in seeing how their worlds get fleshed out a little bit more. Obviously, Van coming coming back. Yeah. Did you notice I'm- all the Easter eggs in her store? 
No, I, but I, I confess this is not one of those where like I've been. I noticed some of them, but like I, it, it was only like a well, two I, second thing. I didn't. Really well, know, so like, she had said one of her favorite movies is while you were sleeping. So like the show, uh, okay. the, the video store is named while you were streaming. Also, yes. in the advertised the staff favorites behind her are shows mm-hmm. like Bound and Into <laughs> the Wild. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, that that's. That's the kind of good Easter egg where it's like it's a joke. It's not supposed to be like, you know, yeah. something that explains something three seasons from now. So that I appreciate that. Okay. I have one other thing. And I, this is, seems weird to put in a debris field. I don't know. But like, I'm hmm. going to defend it. I like Travis's boner. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dan. Let me put it this way. I, all I'm trying to say. So there's a scene where, you know, he's freaking out. Lottie is telling him it's okay and is being very tender with him and he gets an erection. And all I'm going to say he is- He is a teenage like, boy. I mean, he's like- He's a teenage boy surrounded by teenage girls. Like, that was real. Like, yeah. I, that was entirely legit. I'm glad they showed that. I know it's supposed to be, like, it's supposed to be embarrassing, but I just want to defend male well, lust a little bit. There. It is embarrassing. It's supposed to be embarrassing. It's also real. Yeah. And they don't think yeah. they went overboard with it, actually. No, they didn't. No, no, no. Yeah. They, were t- they were, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it was like, there was a quick shot and you, you you know what's supposed to be happening. But, like, I was glad they actually put that in there. I did mean to, to mention this earlier, which is that yeah. weird threesome scene with him and... Natalie and Lottie being a part of it, like him having visions of Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lottie, yeah. like while they're yeah. getting on, getting it on. Right. That was yeah. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. If he's just like interested in her or it was just Yeah, I like, think it I mean I think a, I think a welcome physical, you know, touch at a time of crisis. I don't know. Like I let me put it this way, it was interesting and complicating. And spiritual so I, 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 that was good. Threesome, yeah. I should say. Not like there I don't I doubt we're no, going to no, get like a. Theorism. I doubt we're going to get one of those. Well, we kind of we so we almost had one with the mushroom fest. Uh, the, oh, that's the, true. The doom. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I think that that's about it. I could okay. I could probably talk about this show longer, but we are getting <laughs> to the end of our self determined hour of we conversation. Are. So mm-hmm. I will remind people become a patron if you aren't already. If you are already, or if you for whatever reason you can't, please tell your friends and neighbors. Leave us a review. Wherever you get your podcast reviews are helpful for other people who want to find the yes. show. Mm-hmm. If you are on some sort of social media, dear listener, <laughs> feel free to say something about us. We might not see it, but, but Elon but you know Musk we, might. <laughs> and we might have a vision that tells us that people like us. So, you know, that, that could That's also right. be good. That's yeah. right. And until next time. Keep this channel open for more.